Hello and welcome to the In Focus podcast at The Hindu, which brings you the most important news and views from around the world. I'm Narayan Lakshman, Associate Editor at The Hindu, and I'm your host for this episode. As the US, along with the rest of the world, continues to grapple with the debilitating human toll and economic consequences of the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, the proximity of the presidential election in the US, slated for November this year, has raised political pressures there to an all-time high. In this context, the June 22nd proclamation by the White House restricting the issuance of non-immigrant work visas across the board has sent shockwaves through the system, leading to questions around whether this is a meaningful attempt to shore up the precarious U.S. economy and save American jobs, or purely a campaign play to improve Mr. Trump's odds of victory in November. To discuss all of these critical questions and more, I caught up with Sheila Murthy, founder of the Murthy Law Firm, specializing in immigration cases and immigration law based out of Maryland in the US, uh, who is here to speak with us and really explain a lot of the details that underlie these questions. Welcome to this podcast, Ms. Murthy, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for the opportunity today, Narayan. Great. Uh, so I thought we could start by first getting your sense of what is the long arc of the Trump administration's immigration policy. So from 2016 onwards, obviously, there have initially during the campaign itself, there were certain signals that were given out uh, from the, the Trump campaign. And then it got translated more and more into specific policies and immigration orders. How do you see the progression of those policies from that time to now? So to some extent, it's just an evolutionary process. Even before he became president candidate, Trump talked about how he was probably going to go after immigrants and immigration, though he did not let the cat out of the bag with respect to H-1Bs or professional workers. He talked about building the wall, about, you know, preventing people who broke the U.S. law by coming into the country, etc. But then his focus, as soon as he got elected, was, you know, mentioning starting with the travel ban right soon after he became president in January 2017 to focusing on um, various executive orders to immigration, to building the wall, to threatening to cut off H4EADs, all of that. Some of it hasn't come to pass, some of it has, but the really, so to some extent that there is a consistency in the theme of being anti-immigrant, attacking immigrants as a focus, and it seems to have been four years ago a big focus, about three and a half years ago as a candidate, continuing on that theme of anti-immigration, immigrant bashing, as if immigrants are responsible for all of the problems of America, which is very ironic considering we're a nation of immigrants and pretty much everybody, unless you're Native American, came from somewhere else. And himself as the president, two out of his three wives are foreign nationals, uh, are foreigners, are immigrants, if that's the term that he wants to use, that's, you know, pejorative. Uh, So there's consistency, but it's continued to grow. And I think he took a little bit of a pause. You know, all of us thought his, uh, Trump's focus and his history would look at his anti-immigration stand, which clearly has been a big problem. But I think now with COVID-19 taking a big role, women's movements and now the race and the injustice on race, all of those are going to be part of his legacy. 
Right, right. So we'll come, I mean, you touched on several interesting things there, including being a nation of immigrants, and we'll come back to that. Um, so do you think in this particular instance, that is the proclamation that came on June 20, 22nd, that uh, the impact is going to be very severe for H-1Bs in particular, and we know that a large proportion of them are garnered by Indian nationals uh, and companies that employ them. Do you think for example, we've heard anecdotal cases of many of them being stuck in India, families being separated because they had to travel due, due to COVID-19 or something related to that, and then they've not been able to come back. Uh, have you heard of many of these cases? Is that going to be a problem from where you look at it? So it, it, it won't affect the June 22nd presidential proclamation targeting H-1Bs, L-1s, uh, certain J candidates and H-2Bs and their dependents will not impact those who are physically in the United States or filing for extensions or amendments, et cetera, but it will unfortunately exacerbate the problem for those who traveled abroad, what they thought was briefly for a two week vacation or two week family emergency because a parent was very seriously deadly ill and now are stuck there since late March when India shut its borders with you know, airplanes and no longer allowing for commercial flights and the United States um, and Trump in his April 22nd immigrant proclamation uh, targeting immigrant visas of people stuck abroad who are trying to come to the US as green card holders, primarily family-based immigration, all of those, but they did say that within 60 days, we plan to release something with, which will affect non-immigrant workers but literally on the 60th day, they issued this on June 22nd, 2020, and the biggest and the saddest impact will definitely be those who are stuck because they cannot re-enter due to a combination of factors, both commercial flights not being as easily available over the last three months, and now with this presidential proclamation, the inability to return back till, until at least December 31st of 2020, which he, in the proclamation, the administration says they have the right to extend it should circumstances so warrant. Right. So do you think um, that basically in the first time, the April 22nd proclamation, that was about, you know, just sounding a, an alarm cry over immigration as, as such. And, you know, as you correctly said, it affects green card holders. And then now they've sort of refined are targeted the policies particularly at uh, certain categories of workers, foreign nationals who are coming in as workers because as the administration claims at least, it is to protect American jobs like US jobs for Americans and not for, for foreigners. Is that, is that the rhetoric? Is that the mandate that they're trying to project and maybe tie into the campaign? Yes, this is 100%. They're using the health COVID-19 pandemic to focus on their political agenda. This has nothing to do with a national emergency or saving Americans' lives and jobs, saving jobs or uh, anything to that, even close to that, because whether it's the US Chamber of Commerce, many organizations, including most of the chambers of commerce, many large tech companies, major income producers, the research has shown that actually one H-1B helps to create extra jobs for American workers, that bringing in high-tech individuals can actually help uh, boost the U.S. economy. And so in that climate, trying to pander to people who are not necessarily 
the most highly educated or with the highest technical skills uh, is, is, is bad because we are actually going to regress. It's not going to help create jobs. It's actually going to take away jobs. It's actually going to make things worse from all of the research and economic think tanks from neutral people, uh, organizations that are neither pro nor anti-immigration that have been very concerned with a lot of what has been going on over the past few years. But this proclamation is really, uh, really shameful. It's something that is completely nonsensical, does not make sense financially, economically, or in any other way, and does not help Americans or help create jobs or increase the wages and working conditions for the US labor market. In fact, research and think tanks have shown that it does the exact opposite. Right. So exactly that, that ties in with what you said earlier about the U.S. being a melting pot. So even, to, you know, Fortune 500 company CEOs such as, uh, you know, our Silicon Valley captains of industry like Sundar Pichai and Elon Musk have uh, very, uh, you know, sort of explicitly talked about this and, uh, and expressed the sentiment that it does not really tie in with their own sort of companies and their vision and their employment practices and that they do definitely, they certainly rely on immigrants coming in and skilled workers in particular. So do you think there's gonna be a pushback, uh, both in terms of the more quiet lobbying efforts from these uh, corporations that are going to be pretty severely impacted and also legally uh, in court from a different a variety of different bodies, maybe as a, even as a class uh, litigation? So for lawsuits, definitely, yes. I think there will be lawsuits. I know as soon as every single, or pretty much almost every single thing from the executive orders with travel bans, with building the wall, using money, you know, sort of almost diverting funds that were meant for one purpose to be used for the, another purpose, uh, you know, separation of families. It makes even less sense, for example, if an H4 spouse who is not going to work, who does not have the EAD card with minor children, went what they, for what they thought was a two-week vacation, are now stuck for nine months separated from their you know, father or mother or vice versa, when there's no impact, zero impact in such, for example, in such an example, to taking away a US job. Those are the kind of lawsuits for sure that would probably have win fairly easily. But lawsuits take not, you know, they take some time, not as much as in some other countries, but they, are, they take time, effort, energy, and money. And a lot of organizations like the American Civil Liberties Union or certain organizations have been filing these lawsuits pro bono or very much reduced basis to try to fight for just, to fight for justice and against injustice that has been going on rampantly over the past three or four years. So, what can what can any employer or business or company do when there is a presidential executive order uh, other than challenge it legally? Because right now, the reason that the president of the United States is given such vast powers to an individual is because it's that particular section of the the uh, Immigration and Nationality Act which gives the president powers to impose restrictions on the entry of foreign nationals into this country have to deal with in a national emergency protecting the life and safety of American citizens or Americans when 
initially them talking about not bringing in people because they would bring COVID-19 with them was itself ludicrous to some extent because we're having right now bigger problems in the United States itself, but now extending it to H H1s and H4s, L1s and L2 dependents, when first of all, you're talking a minuscule number who went abroad and got stuck, um, you know, literally, it's not having any impact on those who are in the United States who are working here or filing extensions or amendments with the USCIS. So other than really making this a big brouhaha and trying to show that he's doing so much, um, that his administration is doing so much to protect American jobs, in reality, the impact is probably less than minuscule in saving any kind of jobs. And anyway, we know that that is totally in, in, incorrect because H-1Bs are actually pretty much increasing and helping to create jobs in the United States. Um, I, I get that, I, but I, I was just wondering in terms of the time frame because this latest proclamation, the previous one was for 60 days, the latest one goes on till December 31st of this year, 2020. And there is a question of whether in the hypothetical uh, instance, uh, the scenario of uh, President Trump getting re-elected, and if he uses this to sort of, you know, bolster, further bolster his standing within his own constituent base, and he goes on to further or kind of extend this uh, H-1B and other visa categories uh, ban or the halt in processing or issuing them, that could have an impact, right? Because, for example, I think 85,000 uh, H-1B visas are issued per year uh, to, to India, Indian nationals. And uh, that it's, it could have a significant impact even on the bilateral space, don't you think? So for sure, it's going to have just a point of clarification around the 60-day limit uh, duration of the prior uh, ban on immigrants has been extended under this proclamation also until December 31st, 2020. So that has now become 60 days plus six months. So it's actually that has become eight months. This is a little just a little over six months until December 31st, 2020. So quick point of clarification, the impact on Indians, so the new, with respect to current H1s and those who are in the U.S., not a problem. For those who are in the United States, a, lot, a large majority of the H1s that are filed are filed by those who have done a U.S. master's degrees, uh, uh, you know, bachelor's degrees, et cetera, that in fact the entire 20,000 are for those who've completed their U.S. master's degrees from a you know, non-profit public university, et cetera. So the 20 right off the top we know are for US grads. The other 65, also a chunk of those go to US grads, though yes, a chunk of them are for all citizens and nationals from all over the world. But yes, Indians do take, um, are, are the primary users of the H-1B visa program. So, um, you know, what will the impact be? Yes, those who are stuck outside, because anyway, most of these H-1 petitions would not have become effective until October 1st of 2020, which is the start of the fiscal year 2021 for USCIS, because it starts on October 1st of 2020 and goes until September 30th of 2021. So if the, some of those people happen to be abroad, then they're not going to be able to get the visas to enter the United States on H-1B status. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if some of those people, uh, for example, have other visas, like they, let's say they had a tourist visa because thousands of people had tourist visas to attend meetings, or conferences, et cetera, uh, or come in to do work for a couple of weeks, et cetera, they potentially 
on the way the proclamation is written, there may be a legal loophole for them, for example, to enter the United States on the B1, B2, attend, the, do, attend do whatever the meetings they're coming for, travel on vacation, et cetera, and then within the legal time frame after entry to avoid fraud allegations, file a change of status within the United States legally to switch from B1, B2 to H1B. So now they are legally able to start working based on that prior H1B approval. But if they were stuck in India, then they could not re-enter the United States with the H1 visa. Now, if they already obviously had a visa stamp, again, not talking of cap cases, but other cases, those people are welcome to re-enter the United States as soon as commercial flights are open and they can re-enter. So you're talking many different moving parts here. I understand. Um, I'm thinking also from the point of view of, uh, you know, the large IT companies in India, like the Tata's or Infosys, um, they probably had many business relationships with corporations in the U.S., whereby they would bring in uh, work, their, their personnel, uh, their skilled workers in uh, IT on H-1B visas, maybe for a limited time because it's a non-immigrant visa, but to work on, you know, major projects within the U.S., and so my question is, would the ongoing prospects for such commercial engagements be impacted because new applicants who don't have already have a visa, who don't even have a B1, B2 to later come there and transfer, would that be uh, quite a big impact? Because that could really take an economic toll in the bilateral uh, trade and investment space. Absolutely. So those will be the most, most directly impacted. And yes, I think the Indian economy, to the extent we rely very heavily on this type of bilateral trade and movement of people, of highly technical and skilled workers who have been coming on the H-1B program from abroad, that is going to be immediately and directly impacted. And again, it's not just H-1s. Many of them were using the L-1 option uh, to avoid the H-1B quota caps, etc. Those are also now going to be impacted so yes, it is going to impact bilateral trade between the India and the United States. And we are very aware that Americans who are located all over the world are now going to probably deal with the wrath, incur the wrath of countries across the globe that are going to be impacted with a lot of these trade policies, trade restrictions, um, anti-immigration, this proclamation, et cetera. So I think there's going to be an impact that America is going to have that will probably far exceed any sort of protectionist attitudes that we that that the administration is imposing by virtue of this proclamation. Okay, and one last question, uh, Ms. Murthy. Uh, the obviously we've seen recent uh, polls suggesting that uh, President Trump's rival, Democratic rival Joe Biden, is in the lead in terms of certain polls. But again, we all know that. You know, poll numbers don't necessarily uh, give you the final result that turns out on election day. But having said that, just looking at the immigration uh, immigration policies or agendas of the two two parties, do is is the democratic approach to immigration, specifically with regards to skilled workers and these sort of visa categories we're looking at, is it quite different? Because even under President Obama, there were some restrictions. There was some progress as well with DACA and so on, but that's a different category. How do you see it changing if, if in, the, in the situation of 
the de Democrats winning of Biden becoming the president. Do you see a big shift in this potentially? So historically, Republicans are supposed to be far more pro-business and Democrats tend to be more in strange ways protectionist. We're seeing a little bit of a reversal here because Trump has, the Trump administration is focused on being almost protectionist in many ways towards U.S. to help, presumably under the guise of helping U.S. workers. Um, the, Joe Biden has not come out very strongly with respect to an immigration policy, but he being the vice president off under Barack Obama, the general view has been that he would probably continue some of that thinking, which, yes, there were a lot more restrictions in terms of imposing, um, uh, you know, whether it was um, the investigations that happened under the Obama administration with FDNS and, and all of that, um, that very well could continue. And that has been a big focus for the last, even under the prior W before Barack Obama. So you're talking, you know, over the past 10, 15, 20 years, this has become a focus. But the immigration itself, I don't know that Joe Biden wants to completely reshape immigration the way the Trump administration has looked at it. Um, and so we certainly believe and hope that pretty much nobody, I have been practicing immigration law, practicing law and immigration law for approximately 30 years, and no U.S. president to date in the history of, and I was a history major as well, has been this anti-immigrant, this obvious to really make it a focus for elections, focus on targeting, you know, immigrants' policy. So Joe Biden couldn't possibly be any uh, much worse. It's impossible, practically, for any other president to be worse than than the Trump administration. With respect to poll numbers, just another quick clarification. I know last time Trump won because the they were, the margin of error was about five percent, and he was within the margin of error, five percent between Hillary Clinton and himself three and a half, four years ago in 2016 elections. But now we are talking, I think, a 15 or 18 point lead. Now things could change, but the way it's been going with a combination of angering and upsetting initially women, highly educated college grads, most educated people, now immigrants and businesses and technologies that rely on H-1B workers, as well as be, you know, the, the, the comments against the right, the people who are marching peacefully and calling them hoodlums and, and all kinds of looters and all of that stuff. I don't know that he's getting great friends. And his biggest friend was the U.S. economy, which was roaring for a while with the stock market surging. And though it's been on a, you know, up and down, up and down circle since the beginning of this year, and especially since COVID-19, I think that... It's going to be difficult for uh, uh, Trump to, to get reelected. But again, like you said, nobody has a crystal ball and no one knows anything 100%. And people's minds and hearts can change. Things could change between now, end of June, and November, early November when we have our elections. Okay, Ms. Murthy, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this is the In Focus podcast from The Hindu. Uh, please tune in for much more on the top news and views from around the world. Thank you.